0: So what does it mean to be unshakable when you face temptation? What is temptation anyway? Well, actually temptation is one of Satan's most powerful schemes or devices that's used to mislead people and to lead them away from their commitment to the Lord. Temptation is to be enticed or lured towards sin. It's a trap. It's referred to as the bait of Satan. And he sets those traps usually in some of our most vulnerable areas of our life. Temptation is the pressure to give in to ungodly influences that lead you away from God and lead you into sin. It comes in different forms. Uh, It begins, of course, with a a thought. Uh, Maybe it comes in the form of a certain addiction or or maybe you're put in some compromising situation. You just need to know, and we should all remember, that all of us are tempted. All of us are tempted. No one is exempt. Temptation is normal. Also remember, temptation is not sin. It's not sin to be tempted. It's sin when we give in to that temptation. Then we need to remember that temptation is not from God. God does not tempt, neither does he tempt anyone, the scripture says. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. We're going to look at that here in the beginning. Of our time together. In James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. New Living Translation says, and remember. When you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Verse 15, these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So it starts off maybe... With a thought, it starts off with something that's put before us, and we begin to dwell on it, it begins to lure us in that direction, we begin to give into it, and then it produces certain things in our life. The message paraphrase puts it this way: Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. Our own lust is what gives the devil and what gives the temptation any power in our lives. Now, People ask the question, well, if God cannot be tempted, then what about Jesus? Wasn't he tempted in the wilderness? Yes, he was. He was tempted. You read about it in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. Does that mean that Jesus was not God? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Jesus was 100% God, deity, and he was 100% humanity. Man, he was tempted from the human perspective. The Bible tells us quite clearly that Jesus was made in every respect like us in Hebrews chapter two verse seven. Look at Hebrews chapter four verse fifteen. Amplified Bible says, "For we do not have a high priest talking about Jesus who's unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but Jesus is the one who has been tempted. He has been tempted. He's faced all the same testings, knowing exactly. He knows how exactly it is to be approached with this, to feel like uh, as as humans do in every respect as we are." He's tempted in every respect as we are yet without committing sin. Now he didn't have a sinful nature. He was born of a virgin. He was born conceived by the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a sinful nature. But he was tempted by the enemy. There was the potential for him to yield to the temptation of the enemy from the perspective of him being 100% man coming to live on this earth as the son of man. Now, so I think we can see how the fact that That God is not tempted to do evil, but how when Jesus came and humbled himself to become a man, if you will, born God incarnate, that that meant that he experienced the things that we experienced in life, yet he never sinned. He was a man, if you will, that was supernaturally brought into into the earth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, but he was a man... That also was completely yielded to obedience to the heavenly Father, and he was a man that walked in the Spirit, that had the Holy Spirit in his life. He was. It's interesting when you read in Luke chapter four and Matthew chapter four. It says that after he was baptized, remember when he was baptized in water, it says immediately uh, that the Spirit led or the, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, which just seems kind of odd, but. Uh, this was the next step after after him beginning in the earthly ministry here in the water baptism. He went in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. Now it says that he was led by the spirit in the wilderness, but after he overcame the temptations of the devil, and and overcame the trials that he faced there, then it says that he left in the power of the holy spirit, which is kind of interesting to me that he was led by the holy spirit in the wilderness, but then through the temptation, through the testing, that, he, that he, he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit because he overcame the enemy. Now, it's important for us to remember that what the enemy intended to destroy him really only strengthened him. So, also we ask the question, well, if God doesn't tempt anyone, then what about the Lord's Prayer? What about Matthew chapter 6, verse 13? Doesn't it say... And you're praying to your Father, our Father, lead us not into temptation. Lead so if, if God doesn't tempt anyone, then why should we pray? God don't lead us. Does God lead us in temptation? No, He doesn't. He never wants to bring anything into us to drag us down or pull us away. I mean, it'd be contradictory to the very nature of God Himself. More accurately, that could be put... Instead of lead us into temptation, not into temptation as we often will read or say it. It's better translated, oh God, guide us and don't let us yield to temptation and rescue us from the power of the enemy one. Totally different. So, when people ask, what's the difference between being tempted and being tested? Is there a difference? Yes. Are there similarities? Yes. Some scholars actually say that temptation and testing are two sides of the same coin. And I can see how... That might be the case. It comes from two Greek word, perazo, which is a test to test your weakness or the point of failure. A lot of times when the word temptation is used in the New Testament, that's the Greek word that's used. There's only one other Greek word, dokimazo, which actually is used more in a positive sense when it's used about talking about the proving, the testing, or showing that a person passes the test. But by and large, the first word I mentioned there is a the word that's used, but sometimes it's translated temptation, and sometimes it's translated testing. How do you know which one it is? Is it the devil tempting you, or is it a test that you're walking through in life, that God is using in your life? Only by realizing the source of that, the purpose of it, and look at the context of how it's used in that scripture. If you look at the context of the scripture, you'll tell whether it's being used as a temptation for you to do evil, or if it's actually a test in your life where you're being tried and tested, it's going to really produce good things in your life as you respond according to the word. One verse of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, actually two verses, verse 6 and 7, uh, talks about testing. It says, even though for a little while you're going through various trials, he says, rejoice. Now that seems kind of odd, but it says, even though you're going through some tough spots and you're being tested in your faith, uh, then You need to understand that this is a time when you can stand in faith, rejoice, and be joyful. One version says, because this is no accident. These trials will prove you. They'll show that your faith is genuine. The truth is we need those times. We don't need everything to be easy all the time. We don't need everything to just be handed to us all the time. How else are you going to grow stronger unless there's chances to use those muscles that, those muscles of faith to exercise and to walk out a time of depending upon God and relying upon Him for His strength and help. We need those times. They can help us. They're not to drag us down though, but they'll actually produce good things in our life if we respond correctly. And you'll overcome. The test is not to cause you to fail or to lose. God has already prepared for you everything you need to pass the test and to deal with that trial that you're going through. It says, these trials will prove you, show that your faith is genuine. It's for real. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is even far more precious than gold itself. The psalmist said in Psalm 66 verse 10, he says, you have tested us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. So these seasons of testing and times maybe when you're facing some obstacles in your life, and you don't have all the answers, and it seems like things are going in the wrong direction, are real opportunities for you to rely on the faithfulness of God and allow Him to show Himself, to prove Himself, and see that He's already given you everything that you need to walk through that victoriously. And not only will you walk through it victoriously, but you'll actually be more capable and stronger in your faith after you go through that. Now, don't get the wrong idea. Don't get the idea that God puts sickness on people in order to to try them or test them. That's not true. God doesn't put sickness on people. But sometimes when people are going through situations and sickness, God can even turn that and use it for good when they respond in faith, they can actually be strengthened in that. But God doesn't put sickness on people, nor does he try to drag people down or destroy them. Uh, That's not his purpose for the followers, for, for those who know Jesus for those who are part of the new covenant, uh, so it's important for us to, some people get the idea that, well, you know, I'm going through this illness, sickness, and this attack of the enemy, and it's just God testing me. No, it's an attack of the enemy. It's temptation. Can it, is it a test for you? Yes, it is. But what happens is, is when the devil comes against you with these things, God actually can, uh, God actually can can move in and uh, take that situation. He can he can actually hijack that and repurpose what the devil's using he can hijack that and repurpose it and then when you respond in obedience and respond to what his word says it'll bring about growth and you'll pass the test in that situation so you can see how it can be overlapping that when you're tempted there's a real opportunity to respond in obedience or disobedience to give in or not give in so it can be a test but sometimes when you're facing test it can be a temptation to give in can't it and just quit and give up. So we see the relationship there. What's important for us to remember is that Satan tempts you to destroy you. God tests you to develop you. It's always good. I remember the story of a woman who, <laughs> she uh, purchased a very expensive dress. much cost much more than, than she could ever afford. Well, she got home and she told her husband about it. And he said, how, how, how could you do that? She said, you know, I, I don't know. I, you see, I was standing in front of the store and I was looking at that dress and then I found myself trying it on. It was like the devil said, you look really great in that. You should buy it. And The husband said, well, why didn't you do, you know what's doing that. Why didn't you tell the devil to get behind you? She said, I did, but then he said the dress really looks great in the back. <laughs> we're drawn into situations; we're taken into these traps, these situations, to where uh, we succumb to situations uh, that that brings about failure in our lives, causes us to yield to the will of the enemies that have gone. Uh, I think this is pretty well explained in uh, 1 John chapter 2. And I want to look particularly at verse 16. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16. And this basically is a summary of the three entry points of temptation. There's three primary entry points or categories of temptation. Okay? Three entry points or categories of temptation. Of how God, how, how the enemy baits us. And notice how it says in 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 it says, For all that's in the world, that's talking about the world system, that's talking about anything contrary to the kingdom of God, God's purposes. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It goes on verse 17, it says, and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Thank God for that. But notice it names three things. What are they? before that it says don't love the world and don't love the things of the world don't be drawn into those things that are trying to pull you away from your faith and desire to live for God it says, then it says you know for it, when you look at the world system here's what you see these three entry points in, to give in to temptation number one there's the lust of the flesh there's the lust of the eyes and there's the pride of life well Interesting, you can trace this all the way back to the book of Genesis and when Eve was tempted. When you look at when the serpent, when the enemy came to Eve, he tempted her with the lust of the flesh. The scripture says in Genesis there that when the woman saw that the tree, get this, that the tree was good for food. It was appealing to her fleshly appetite. Taste of this. This is something that you want. Also, Jesus, the enemy came against Jesus this way with attempting to the lust of the flesh. Satan said, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, then command this stone to become bread. He could have. He could have. And remember, this is, he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights when this temptation comes. rather vulnerable place, you would think. But when Satan tempts him and says, Look, if you're the Son of God, then just command this stone to become bread. That's an appealing to the flesh, isn't it? Of course, Jesus' response was it's written, this is what the word says, Men that man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from God, every word of God. The lust of the flesh. The second entry point is the lust of the eyes, the eye gate. And when it comes to dealing with situations, circumstances that bring us to a point of failure and giving in temptation, this is extremely important. Um, That's the love of money and that's covetousness, material things. What did the serpent say to Eve when he was tempting her? He said, look at this fruit. It's good to eat. Secondly, he said, look at this. Look at this. And it says that when she did, it was delightful to look at or to gaze at. She looked at it. She said, it's good. You set your eyes on something, you're probably going to go in that direction. Jesus, in responding to the lust of the eyes, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He said, look at this. Here's all the kingdoms of the world and they can be yours. Just bow down to me. But Jesus' response was, "Get behind me, Satan! For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God.'" You see, there's a danger of people, even Christians, that get subtly give in to the influence of uh, and the uh, and the exposure to media and TV, the internet, books, so forth. Be careful what you put your eyes on. Then there is the pride of life, the third entry point. That's the desire for glory. That's about me. That's, about, that's all about ego. How many of you know that it's the ego that, dr- that drags a lot of people down? And how was Eve exposed to this temptation? The Bible says in Genesis 3.6 it says, it was a tree that was to be desired because it would make one wise. That was her ego. It was appealing, look, this will make you wise. This will make you wise like God. Jesus. When he was tempted with the pride of life, the devil tempted him by urging him to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple. Because he said, look, 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 look who you are. If you're the son of God, then just jump off. For the scripture says, the devil always twists scripture in its meaning. The scripture says, he will order the angels to protect you and guard you. They'll lift you up on their hands so that you do not, that you don't strike your foot against any stone. I mean, it made sense in some ways. Look, look, you're... If you are who you say you are, then do this. After all, look, you are the son of God, aren't you? Well, what was his response? His response was, it is also written, quoting the scripture again, it is also written, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God to try to prove himself to you. And when he had had resisted this temptation, it says that the devil went away from him, departed for a while. Now, it wasn't the last time Jesus was ever tempted, but he overcame that attack of the enemy and overcame temptation. He overcame the lust of the flesh, that fleshly appetite of this is what I, I want, this is what satisfies me. He overcame the lust of the eyes. And said, I, I, "I'm not going to be covetousness, or I'm not going to be covet, uh, coveting. I, I'm not going to just uh, look at things and des- desire them for, for just for me." And he said, "I'm not." Uh, and and it's concerning the pride of life, uh, he said, uh, "He said, I, 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 my identity is my identity is found in who I am in God the Father. My identity just don't challenge who God is.' Well, truth is, we give." We actually give Satan, we actually give temptation its power, don't we? We're tempted by our own lust. We're tempted by others. How much pressure do you face? How much pressure do, you, do the young people, do your children face each week to give in to things that they know is really not what they need to be giving into? Pure pressure. Pressure to conform. Both of all ages. And this pressure to conform, is temptations we need to learn to deal with. Be secure in who you are. Be secure in what the Word of God says. And then we're tempted, of course, by the enemy, by Satan, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It, it, oftentimes temptation, of course, will just begin with a thought that's triggered by something. And then we have, we have a responsibility. What am I going to do with that thought? What am I going to do with that thought? Well, after I have that thought, then I, I may just consider that thought. And then, following that, if I consider that thought and allow it to stay, then I'll begin to entertain that thought. And then, if I entertain that thought, that ultimately will lead to me actually walking it out. It'll mean that I consent to that thought. You say, "Well, it's just okay. It's just this one time, or it's okay. It's just a little sin. It doesn't matter." I'm always reminded of Numbers chapter thirty-two that says, "Your sins will find you out." The truth is. You know, God doesn't. It's not about God says, you know, you don't you don't need to obey disobey me. You don't need to sin if you fall into sin. Sin's a bad thing. It is. I mean, the Bible says the wage of sin is death. But sin can be so appealing. Things that you're tempted with are so appealing. They don't appear as something ugly and bad most of the time. There's something that seems very rational, reasonable, and actually something that that is uh, that you may want. So it's very deceptive. We have to learn have to learn to recognize that. And the reason we're to live a life of faithfulness to God and to reject yielding to sin is because it's good. It glorifies Him because it's good for us. It's good for us. It's not denying us anything good that we need. The truth is that God wants to bless us. But if we choose to walk in our own way and not, not resist the enemy, then, uh, then it cuts us off from His blessings. Amen? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, very important verse, is a promise that we're given. It says, No temptation that has as, has as its goal a failure, of your failure, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, we're all tempted. We all face the same stuff. You may be more vulnerable in some places. Some things may tempt you that don't tempt me. Some things may tempt me that are not a temptation to you. They're different. But the enemy knows where your weak points are. How does he know? Does he know everything? No, the enemy doesn't know anything. But we reveal that by how we live, and we reveal that by our actions. So it says that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. And get this I love this. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Don't misquote that. It doesn't say, nowhere here does it say that God won't put more on me than I can bear. That's not what this verse says. An old person says, well, I had a." car wreck and had a family member die and now I'm in the hospital with terminal disease but, the, but God says he won't put more on me than I can bear. He didn't put any of that junk on you. Don't misquote those things. In fact don't bring up something of scripture that's not scripture at all. This is referring to temptation. And yes it can refer to testing. But we depend upon him. It says it says God is faithful. That's why you can stand, because God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But when you're tempted, with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. With a temptation, he's going to provide you a way of escape also so that you may, so that you will be able to endure it. When Satan tempts you to sin, God always provides a way of escape. But you have to be looking for it and you have to want it. But there's always a way out. There's always a way of freedom. You don't have to give in to that junk. You don't have to yield to the devil. You don't have to sin just because you've been tempted. God will make a way for you to endure it or overcome it. Amen? So, Quickly, so that you know how far, how how far off your lunch is. <clears throat> Not that that's any ill issue to you, because I know y'all are hungry for the Word of God. Amen. Okay, well, perhaps we could stay a little longer then with a good amen like that. <clears throat> I know ideally a pastor lists three important points, but I I, I, I want to give you five. Okay, I'm going to walk through them kind of quickly here. I'm, All the scriptures will not be on the screen, but I'm going to read some of them and I'm going to give you the scripture if you want to take notes. How do you remain unshakable when you're tempted? How to remain unshakable when you're tempted? Basic things, but extremely important. First, you must protect your heart. Protect your heart, your inner being, what you allow in. And in that, learn to recognize temptation. Learn to keep it in check by recognizing, hey, I know what that is. I know what that's trying to do. Three things under this protect your heart. First of all, guard your eyes. The psalmist says, uh, says I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. What about that? The psalmist says, I'm not going to put anything that's wicked before my eyes. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar, the eye gate. Imagine how many people could win over temptation if they do that. The message says, I refuse to give a second look at those things that are vulgar or at those things that are wicked. It says, I hate the practice of those who fall away from the right path. It will not grab hold of me. You guard your heart by guarding your eyes. Don't let this thing come in and into your heart. Then guard your mind. Second Corinthians 10 and 5 says that we're supposed to take every thought captive and bring it into obedience to the word of God, obedience to Christ. Got to guard your mind, your thoughts. The third thing is you must guard your heart. If you're going to protect it, you have to guard it. Proverbs 423 says, guard your heart above all else. Above everything else, guard what you allow in here. Watch after your heart with diligence, because it determines the course of your life. Or out of it flows the springs of life or the issues of life. Guard your heart. More important than anything else because out of it, out of it, you find that your life is is determined from what's in your heart. First, protect your heart. Number two, store the Word in your heart. Store the Word within. Or we could say hide the Word of God as a psalmist said. Psalm 119 verse 11 Says, I have hidden or stored or treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The reason some people are not able to stand up against temptation and they succumb or yield to it is because they don't have any reservoir of the truth of God's word within them. See, they don't have anything to stand on. Jesus, when he when the enemy came uh, against Jesus in the wilderness to tempt him, then what was his response? It was always prefaced with the word, it is written. And if when the enemy tries to come against you, you've got the word stored down on the inside, then what happens? You've got it in here and you can just bring it up and you can say, well, here's what the word says, devil. Here's what the Bible says. And you can do exactly the same thing. It is written and you overcome by the power of the word. Extremely important. The psalmist, I've hidden, stored, treasured the word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. How do we overcome the world according to 1 John 5? We overcome the world by our faith. And how is faith developed in us? As we get the Word inside of us and exercise it. So very important. So get the Word inside of you, memorize it, meditate on it, and stand on it. There is no excuse for us not to. We have it available to us. And uh, it is a key to overcoming temptation. The third thing is establish accountability. If you're going to overcome temptation, it's good for you to establish accountability with someone, with another believer, with someone you can trust, with someone that you can share with and they can share with you, That someone that's going to speak the truth in your life, someone or a few individuals. Establish accountability. In other words, that, that look, I'm inviting someone to say, Hey, if you see something in my life that doesn't need to be there, then I expect you to care enough about it to maybe mention that to me and say, I'm praying about it. About your situation you're facing, you point it out to me. It's all right, and if I know you love me, then it's okay. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, "Spur one another on." You know, like when you're riding a horse and you you kick or spur the horse, and that's to encourage people to go forward. it Says, "Spur one another on toward love and good deeds." First Thessalonians 5:11 says, "Encourage or build one another up." Proverbs 27:17 says, "As iron sharpens iron, then so one person will sharpen another." Ecclesiastes four tells us that two are better than one. If one falls, you've got someone to help you up. You've got someone to stand beside you. Every one of us in this building needs someone that we have a relationship with, uh, that, that where there's truth, honesty, where there's a, a, an ability to communicate back and forth with one another, and where people actually you can you can encourage them and help them and. If they begin to fall into a place that's dangerous for them, then you can share with them about that. We need a certain level of accountability in our life. We're accountable to God, of course. Above everything else, we're accountable to Him. But we need someone in the flesh. We need another human being or a few human beings that really we know we can connect with that will actually put us in a a situation of being more accountable. I mean, how, how many of you, if you've gone on some type of exercise program of running or exercising, and, and you do pretty good, but you do so much better if you have an exercise partner, or you've got someone who says, hey, we meet together and run at a certain time in the morning, you know, three days a week or whatever it is. Well, if you don't show up, they're going to know it, and they're going to probably say, what happened to you? Where were you? There's an accountability there. That spurs us on. and says, man, you know, I need, I need to move. I need to move on. I need to move on out. I need to follow through. Extremely important. The fourth thing is, is if we're going to uh, remain unshakable against temptation, sometimes we just need to remember to run. Run from it. Avoid it, we could say. Avoid traps and enticements. Paul wrote to young Timothy, the pastor, and he says, Flee from temptation. Or actually, he says, flee from youthful lust." And pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call, uh, uh, who, who will serve the Lord with a pure heart. When you come up against things, and this is true of all ages, but particularly I know that young people oftentimes face this. And if they're in a relationship with someone, they face this. Uh, there's certain things that happen in their life and they have an opportunity to give in to that, yield temptation, knowing that it's not the right path to take, knowing that it's the wrong choice to make, and yet they give into it. First of all, if you have given to it, thank God you can confess it, ask God to forgive you, and you can get up and you can go on and ask God to give you strength not to fail in that area again. But one of the best ways you can do you know, you just can't play with stuff like this. When something is held out in front of you or when, you're, when you are, are, are enticed or drawn or physically drawn into a situation that is wrong or that's unhealthy then if you're drawn into that, then there comes a point while you're being tempted to where there's a way of escape. And sometimes that way of escape is to turn around and walk away. Sometimes that way of escape is to run from it, and say, I'm not going to put myself in that vulnerable situation again. But we have free wills, so we can do it or not do it. But there's always what? Consequences to our choices. Correct? So when we look at this, there are times when you see that that you're... Uh, Look, we don't, you and I, we don't live in a bubble, all right? We're exposed to things every day, every one of us here. Some of us may be in situations where it's a little bit more of a a sheltered environment. But we all live in the world. And Jesus said, look, you're in the world. You're in in it, but you're not of it. In other words, it's different. It's different for the believer to follow Christ than from the world system and the way they live. All too often, <clears throat> and unfortunately, in much of the church today, that line that distinguishes follower from those who are not followers of Christ has become uh, almost indistinguishable and has kind of disappeared and where you can't tell the difference between the choices of a believer and the choices of a non-believer. There should be a difference. Ours lines up with the word we're not better than they are, but our lifestyle's supposed to be different. Our values are supposed to be different. How we treat others is supposed to be different. How we deal with our, our finances, money is supposed to be different. How we deal with our employer, employees is supposed to be different. How, how we are at home with our, with our spouse, with our children is supposed to be different. We, we, we are, we are to, to, to be at a level where we want to honor him with everything that's in our life. In order to do that, when you're faced with these situations, sometimes you just have to make up your mind, I'm going to get out of that situation. Don't put yourself in a vulnerable situation. Uh, there are certain danger points. <clears throat> I've talked with people before that the, the real temptation in their area of failure was alcoholism. And they would, <clears throat> they would have a problem drinking and, and, and to the point of being alcoholic. And they would have a genuine conversion experience, born again. For some of them that I've known, the moment they're born again, they had no desire or taste for alcohol from that day forward. Man, that's always, that's always good when that happens. It makes it a lot easier. But for many of them, the desire, the, the lust of the flesh is still there. So <clears throat> the smart thing for them to do is to stay away from the bars. Okay? I mean, some of this stuff is just, duh. <laughs> I mean... They're just setting themselves up. And many times people are setting themselves up sexually, temptations, as far as other addictions, they set themselves up because they put themselves in these situations where they are vulnerable and where it's dangerous. You remember David had a problem with his eyes and temptation when he looked down and saw Bathsheba taking a bath. He was supposed to be busy doing something else. It's a problem when we got too much time on our hands. As a king, he was walking along the top, and you know, the, the flat structure of the buildings, he was walking along the top of the palace area, if you will, and he walked over. <clears throat> and I don't know where someone told him that's what's happening, or if it was just an accident. But one day when he's walking, he looked down, and there was a beautiful woman, a beautiful woman that was taking a bath, if you will, he looked down and saw a beautiful woman. Well, now he had an opportunity. I mean, he may not have been able to help the fact that he looked down. But then he had to make a choice what I'm gonna do with that. And what happened was he he got, first of all, he got too close to the edge of the building, because he had to be up to the edge of the building to be able to see her. If you walk too close to the edge instead of getting in to a deeper place with God and to a place of deeper commitment, strong commitment, you're going to always walk in this peripheral area to where you're always being bombarded and you have a tendency to want to give in to those things. He gave into it and it caused a lot of, a lot of problems death, pain, all sorts of horrible situations but he gave in to that. The first thing he should have done is once he saw that was to go back downstairs or to go inside or to walk away and don't put yourself back into that situation again. But that's the way temptation works. I'm sure he got it on his mind and there's probably nothing else that he thought about until he succumbed, gave into it. Maybe someone has a friend. I'll put quote unquote a friend or someone in their life that it's causing them to stumble. It's pulling you away from your faith. It's causing you to compromise on some things. If so, lovingly, not pridefully, turn away. Find another friend or friends. Still love them or care about them, but you cannot continue in those dangerous relationships. How many people over the years who wanted to live for the Lord it seemed and who made some type of profession of faith and we worked with them, we talked with them, we spent time with them, but they were in a certain area where they were running with a certain crowd that were involved in doing certain things and you kept saying, look, you can care about those people and pray for them, but in the meantime too, you get stronger and more established. You need to separate yourself from them and you need to spend your time with people that can help you grow and help you develop in your faith. And then there may be a time when you can really come back and sow their lives but you're still at a point right now to where when you're brought back into that congregation, if you will, or the company of those people, they drag you down rather than you lift them up. <clears throat> I'm not saying that it always has to be that way. I'm just saying that's the way it normally is. And everybody say, number five. Number five. <laughs> the final thing is pretty simple. Of course, uh, I mean, of course, we know that we're to protect our hearts and store the word God in our lives, we're to establish accountability in our lives, we're supposed to run away from the traps that are set before us. But finally, we just need to learn to effectively resist the devil when he comes against you. You have an enemy, your adversary the scripture says, who's against you. Now, a lot of times people give the devil more credit than he should have. Anybody old enough to remember Flip Wilson? Anybody in the house old enough to remember Flip Wilson. Thank God there's a half a dozen of you. <laughs> Flip Wilson was it? Was it? Funny, funny guy, comedian. And when he would get called on the carpet about something or you pointed out he did something wrong, he would always say, The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. That's a cop out for some people. The devil can't make you do anything that you don't allow him to do in your life can't make you he's been defeated because of the cross and the resurrection he can't make you but he can sure set you up and give you the opportunity to and set the bait for you and those of you that fishermen, when you know that some bait work better for some fish other bait work better for other fish and he likes to set the bait for you he finds out what that bait is for you cast the line sets the bait for you and then he's ready to do this and we need to understand that he is your adversary that wants to pull you away from things that are good, the things that are God, the things that are blessing, and he wants to pull you into things that will kill, will steal, will destroy, will hurt your life. So it's important for us to learn that we have the power to resist the devil. All right? Sometimes we're just tempted because of people tempting us. We tempt ourselves because of our own stupid stuff we do and think about. But sometimes the, the arch enemy... <laughs> Satan himself, and he's ultimately the source of all of it anyway, but he comes against us. Evil comes against us. He is our adversary. And James chapter 4, verse 7, remember, it's actually actually a two-part verse. Sometimes we leave out the first part. The first part's very important. The first part of James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit. Surrender. Give yourselves to. Submit yourselves to God. That means submit, submit to the authority of God. Okay. Submit yourselves to God. Here's the second thing. Resist the devil. Submit to God. God, you're in charge here. I'm gonna look at your word, your authority here. Resist or stand against the devil, knowing that that you've overcome because of what Jesus has done. And you've overcome because of your faith that Jesus came to display or show how the devil was defeated. He defeated the devil and his power that could destroy us. Does the devil still have power? Yes. Can he still destroy? Yes. But the Bible says that if we'll submit to God and his authority and we'll resist the devil, then here's what the result will be. Submit to God, resist the devil, and what will happen? He will flee from you. We need to run away from temptations, but then we need to face the enemy and say, I'm not going to give in to this. Jesus has already overcome I know that you've come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give me life and give it to me more abundantly. Right now, I choose to accept and follow the, ability, the, the authority of God in His Word. Help me, Holy Spirit. You'll give me strength and help to do that. And I submit to that. I resist you, Satan. I resist you, devil. You're not going to drag me down. You're not going to drag my family down. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to follow according to the Word of God. And right now, in Jesus' name, Go. And the Bible says, "He'll flee from you." I don't know that sounds like fairy tale to some people, but, but this is actually this you have that authority because of Jesus Christ. We have that authority. Use it. Let's use it. Don't play games with the enemy. Amen? Five things. Five things to help you remain unshakable when you're tempted. And I think every one of us can use these kind of things in our daily life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand and let's pray together. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I I just want us to pray together this morning. I'm not going to ask the worship team to come up. I just want us to pray. Because I I believe that a message that is this down to earth, if you will, are applicable in our lives because we've all been tempted and we've all probably failed and yielded that temptation before. And we've been tested and sometimes we, we've, we fail the test, but sometimes we have passed the test. Whether you pass the test or not oftentimes depends upon how well prepared you are for that. We'll talk about that next week. So anybody here, if you've been dealing with things that tempt you, that come against you in life, to try to drag you away from God's very best for you, what he wants then I want you to see that God's provided a way for you to, to overcome temptation. You don't have to give in to it. You don't have to suffer the consequences of it. And if you have, I'm here to, and with good news. If you have, then the Bible says that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Forgive us of all unrighteousness. For some here this morning, young and old, it may be a time for us to say, Lord, I see this morning, I've seen some areas that I, where I've been weak, too weak, where I've given in to some things that I know not been pleasing to you. If that's you, here's all you have to do from your heart. Lord, I have failed in these areas. I've given in to some of these things, some of these temptations in my life. I've allowed them to take root in my life in some areas. Lord, forgive me. I repent. Forgive me. Give me a brand new beginning this morning. And help me to get the word inside of me. And help me, Holy Spirit, to have the strength that I need to stand against this temptation. And to look for a way of escape when it comes against me. And know that you always provide it. And Lord, for those who have other needs in their life, for those who are facing things in their life, sicknesses, family issues, problems, decisions they need to make, Holy Spirit, show them what they need to do. Give them wisdom. Give them wisdom. And help us all when these things, Lord, when we face these things, just simply say, Lord, I just turn this over to you. I look to you for your word. I look to you, Holy Spirit, to show me because I know you've promised me that I overcome, that I'm not shaken by these things, that the victory is already mine, and that's what I choose to walk in right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. I pray you just take that, meditate on that, keep that inside of you, things we talked about this morning, and we'll take another step into some important things about about uh, being unshakable when you stand up against some bad situations in your life. We'll pick up on that and see some amazing stories in the Bible about that next week, the Lord willing.